Jeff and I are in uh, Lamont and Kim's small group, and he is able to teach. You can check that off on the box. If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is affectionately known as the love chapter, and we're going to be talking about life now and not yet. One of the great things that Pastor Sean talks about is this idea of the kingdom of God is now, but not yet. As we look at the Christian life, it's now and not yet. There's some good things that can happen here now as believers, but there are some things that we get to look forward to that we are not yet, have we not yet arrived to. And so we're looking at the end of the creed, and as we look at the end of the creed, we want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because there's three phrases that we're going to look at as we kind of wrap up this creed. So this is what I want everybody to do on the front. It'll be up on the screen. I want everybody to look at the front of their um, bulletin, highlight sheet, whatever you want to call it. And I want you to all stand up with me and I want to say it together because we're going to look at the last three phrases and amen and we're going to say this together. Here we go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You can be seated. Now, this is Trinitarian in the way that it's written. You have God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and then God the Holy Spirit. And what each of them, equal in soul, different in role, I mean, and you have a different role of what the Holy Spirit does. And last week, Pastor Sean kind of gave us, as he kind of began, I believe, in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. This morning, we're going to be working on the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. This is the Holy Spirit. This is who brings us life. This is who makes us alive. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says that we were dead in our trespasses. When before Christ, you are spiritually dead. So there's this idea then that what, are we, what in the world then are we supposed to do once Christ has made us alive? What's this life that he has for us? John 10.10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Exciting, isn't it? Abundant life. Okay, now, now, oh, yeah, oh, whoop-de-doo, whoop-de-frickin-doo, you know? No, yes, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's look at the good stuff. Here we go. And we're not talking about the 16 things of what love and what love isn't. You can go to any wedding and you can hear that. Let's look and see what the Apostle Paul does with it afterwards. Verse 8, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Verse 12, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. 
but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Now, what's, what are we supposed to do now in this life? Now. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. See, the life that we are now to live revolves around these three themes, faith, hope, and love. We talk about faith in Jesus Christ all the time. We talk about love, that everything we're supposed to do is to be tailored and, and move in this, this, this movement of love. And now, this morning, we're going to talk about hope. Hope. Now, I want to give you a definition of hope from the dictionary. Hope is you want something to happen or be the case. You want something to happen or be the case. When you look at this passage of scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we see that we don't get the whole picture no matter how much knowledge you have. We can't put God in a little box and say we figured him out. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my ways higher than your ways. So you have this idea, you have this, this, this thing that God transcends even our, our minds. This, you know, blow our minds. He's so much bigger, so much larger, the God that we serve. So how in the world can we, in our, in our state, kind of connect with and understand God except through Jesus Christ? Well, how do we know that what Jesus did on the cross for us is working to make us more like him? How do we know this? It's the third part of the creed, the Holy Spirit of God. That's what's so beautiful. And so as we live this life, we live it through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We hope, not, not as orphans, the Bible says, we hope for what's to come. And how do we hope? How do we have this hope? Because the Holy Spirit of God doesn't reside around us. If you're a Christian here this morning, the Holy Spirit of God resides in us. And we have a taste of eternal life because of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, oftentimes, there's lots of different discussions about this, and there's two things that I want to kind of point out. It says, but when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. He's talking about knowledge and all the other things. Now, the time of perfection, the word perfection there in the Greek, not to bore you with Greek, but I think it's important, it's in the neuter, which means it's not masculine or feminine, so we're not talking about Christ's return, okay? Now, there's two ways that people can interpret this. One would say the word of God, because the word of God, when it's spoken of, is usually in the neuter. The other way that we can look at it is the kingdom of God. When we talk about the kingdom of God, it's in the neuter as well. And some people hold that it, when that which is perfect is come, the Bible, then that which is in part will be done away with. I like to say that it's when the kingdom of God is fully realized, See, I think the perfection of what he's talking about is when the kingdom of God is fully realized because of what he says then in verse 10. But when that perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Then he goes to this idea of when I was a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned as a child, I grew up, I put away childish things, but now we see these things imperfectly. 
So even though there's this part that we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. Now, even though I have the Bible, I still sometimes don't see things with perfect clarity. And, and maybe you do. Maybe you do. Well, I love you. Teach me. Okay? It's this idea, though, that I want to know Christ. I want to, I want to walk and live this abundant life that he has for me. But there's this idea that, you know what? Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes it's difficult. It's not all fun and games. A few weeks ago, my wife and I lost my grandmother and her cousin in the same week. Many of you have lost people. And sometimes it doesn't feel very abundant, does it? This life. Sometimes it causes us to long for something more, something beyond this current state, this current life. And that's okay. The Apostle Paul understood that. He says it's not crystal clear yet. Only when Christ comes back and gives us his new bodies and, and, and completes this kingdom of God will we see and know and understand. Hope. I want something to happen or be the case. But it hasn't happened yet. But we don't hope blindly. Let's pray. Father, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Speak to our hearts through your word now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. When I go to Costco, I love the little tasters. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those little things? Man, I love them, okay? And they usually happen right around mealtime. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, you're about to eat lunch. Oh, let's go to Costco first. You go to Costco. And then all of a sudden, you're like filling up on these little snacks. And you're really hungry. And you're like, man, these snacks are amazing. If a little bit is tasted this good, I would think a whole, like, massive size, the size of this carpet would be even better. So you bring home this massive whatever it is, you know, little, you know, little, little treat or whatever, and you think, man, and then you, get, you think, man, this is so exquisite. I can't wait to have a whole meal of this. Have you been there? And then all of a sudden, you cook up the whole thing and you go, ah, it wasn't that good. It's almost disappointing. You're like, What? And like when I was in college and I was, you know, my parents gave me a Sam's Club card because, you know, I, I didn't have any money. And so I had this Sam's Club card and I would go, when money got tight, I would go right around lunchtime or dinner time with all the things and I would eat lunch or I'd eat dinner. Some of you are laughing, you know what I'm talking about. Others of you, don't judge me. <laughs> and so I would eat. It was good. And I would be happy. And I was thinking, man, if I got enough money, I could buy this, and it would taste so amazing. And it tasted so exquisite in such a little amount. But then I would get it home, I'd cook it, and it wasn't as good. You know, the scientifically, it's proven that when people are, are hungry, something that normally we would deem adequate tastes exquisite. Why? Because the hungry void requires something, anything. And usually people will buy the item thinking it will satisfy later, but usually it doesn't. I think there's a lot of people that have kind of dipped their toe into Christianity or they've, they've had a little morsel taste of the things of God. And some of them go, man, this is, this is great. And then they start to kind of get into it and they're like, well, I don't know. 
The Bible says this. And the Bible, well, before we get there, I want to I say there's hope for the item grows when we get a taste. There's two things that I want you to see. Hope for the item grows when we get a taste, especially the hungrier we are. When we get that taste at Costco or, or at Sam's Club, that hope that it's going to be all satisfying grows. And the other thing that we learn here is sometimes bad satisfies when we are hungry. Bad hope is better than no hope. And I think sometimes in this world, we hold on to the things of this world because we think we can hope in those things and they always let us down, but, but we don't give up hope. And the reality is we've placed our hope in something temporal when God wants us to place our hope into something eternal. Because we see things dimly now, remember? And so we, we're, we're kind of grabbing for some of these biblical thoughts and these things that, that God wants to give us through the power of his Holy Spirit and, and we hold on to things that don't satisfy See, the Bible teaches these, tru these two truths in life. Psalm 34, 8, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. It's this idea that if you get a morsel of God, it will satisfy you. But it's just a taste. And so the idea is God wants us to sit down for the whole course. Remember Revelation 3.20, behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. More than a taste. More. Proverbs 27.7 says, a person who is full refuses honey, but even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. And Solomon's basically saying, listen, you fill up on the things of this world, you won't want the good things. It's true for our kids, isn't it? And they want to fill up on chicken fingers and there's not enough room in their stomachs for the vegetables. Make them start with the vegetables and then you can have chicken fingers. As if it's really chicken. Um, it's that idea though. See, the Holy Spirit, part of the Apostles' Creed, is looking at these three phrases, and it gives us an incredible amount of hope. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 says, It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. So it's God, the Holy Spirit, who's enabling us to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us. Verse 22, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised to us. See, we don't hope blindly as Christians. We hope with the Holy Spirit of God in us. He is in us. And so because he is in us, we have this hope that eternity is gonna be far better. That the morsel of food, that if we bring Christ home and Christ, we get Christ the most important part of our life, it's not gonna disappoint as if a Costco chicken thing would, but it's gonna, it's gonna satisfy and satisfy beyond our wildest dreams. This is the hope of the believer. The taste is that of the Holy Spirit. The taste of eternal life. See, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead because he went away up to the Father and then he sent his Holy Spirit. This is that taste of eternal life, of heaven, of what's to come. So our hope has got substance. So because of the Holy Spirit, we can know hope. And because of the Holy Spirit, there's three things that I want you to see 
based upon the creed, and here they are. The first one is this, Christians have the forgiveness of sins. Because of the Holy Spirit's work in our life, the hope that we have is the fact of not that our sins may be forgiven, but that our sins are forgiven. Forgiveness is not based upon our works, but God's redemption. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Christian, we have the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, future sins. It was all paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ. This should excite us. Because here's the deal. All the religions in the world is based upon what you can do for your God so your God doesn't get angry at you. So therefore, what do you do? You cut yourself. You offer up and sacrifice your firstborn child as if to appease him so that he would forgive you and take mercy and pity on you. See, all the other religions of the world is this idea that I've got to give gifts or I've got to sacrifice or I have to, to, to live through pain or suffering as if my God then would, would maybe, maybe have pity and forgive me of the wrongs and the transgressions that I've done. But not Christianity. You know what happened? God the Father put all of that on his son, Jesus Christ. So guess what? He paid for it all. My redemption secured, not based upon what I do or what I've done, but upon who Christ is and what he's done. This is exciting. So when we say the Apostles' Creed, that we have forgiveness of sins, this is what it means. Giving and receiving forgiveness. Now, here's the next thing that you need to understand about having the forgiveness of sins. Giving and receiving forgiveness is a choice that brings freedom. Now, when we come to know Jesus Christ, guess what? We are set free. The prison door is open. But some of us choose to live in the prison cell, even though the door is open, by holding unforgiveness in our heart towards people. This is not me. This is what the Bible says. Mark, look at Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Mark eleven twenty five, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Man, giving and for receiving forgiveness is a choice that brings freedom. It's a waterfall that washes over us. It's got to be this continual waterfall that we have received from Christ that we ought to give to others. But you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what my ex-wife did to me. You don't know what my ex-husband did to me. You don't know what my son or daughter said to me. You don't know. Hey, listen, I know what Jesus did for us. And he paid for those sins. And he forgave us. And when we hold on to a grudge, we're just saying, Jesus, we're better than you. How do we know this? Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. Yes. Jesus says, no, not seven times. 
Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. This water flow of forgiveness, this waterfall of forgiveness over and over again, pouring over you and extending it to others. This is hard for me. After you get dropped off sometimes, sometimes I talked to this person this week and they wanted to make a change. They wanted their life to be different. This person said this to me after I get dropped off after an all-night party. I look in the mirror and I say, is this where I want to be? Because my life just reflects sin, 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 and more sin. And the guilt is overwhelming to me. But isn't it great to know, Christian, that God forgives our sins? So how in the world can we not forgive one another? Number two, because of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the hope that we have, Christians will get new bodies. Christians will get new bodies. See, a resurrected body is our earthly body only perfected and then glorified just like Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, John writes, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body, made for us by God himself and not by human hands. It's the idea is the resurrected body is our earthly body only perfected and glorified just like Jesus Christ. How exciting is that? We will get new bodies. Our bodies will be rebuilt for eternity at the return of Christ. How do we know this? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up physically in the clouds to meet the Lord. I put the physically in there just in case you didn't think. I don't want to add anything or subtract anything to the scripture. Caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in a blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, and when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are alive, living, will also be transformed. Our bodies will be rebuilt for eternity. We're not built for eternity. We're not. That's why. The things I want to do, what does the Apostle Paul say in Romans 7? The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. It's this tension. I want you, God, but I want the things of the world too. And I'm constantly being pulled. And my body wants those things, but inside my spirit wants these things. Make anybody schizophrenic. Make us crazy. 
I want that. And, and one day our body and our souls and spirits together will say, Christ, I want you completely. And I long for that day when my body will be redeemed. Our bodies will be rebuilt. Think about the $6 million man, some of you guys. And I love that show. $6 million got you like superhuman strength. Now it kind of gets you a Kroger building or something. You know, a little less. It's this idea. I mean, come on. He got rebuilt. He got rebuilt. That's what everybody looked and said, man, that's the coolest thing ever. Because all of a sudden, it was still him, but it was like him so much better. That's what happened. That will happen at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the hope to know that that will happen because of the Holy Spirit's deposit in us. So what, what do we do until he returns? We groan and wait. Romans 8.23, and we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. And don't you long for that? Sometimes when I get out of bed, I sound like popcorn. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my back. We too, the Apostle Paul says, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful. See, and the outflow of that is this, that we will then be built for eternity. We'll be able to look on the Lord. Right now we look dimly, but one day we'll see him face to face. Moses couldn't even do that. He had to look at the back of God. We're not built to look at God, but we're going to get rebuilt, new eyes, that we'll be able to look upon him and he'll be able to look upon us because of what Christ did on the cross. And we can know this because the Holy Spirit of God is deposited in our souls, Christian. If you're not a Christian, now's the time. The third thing is this, Christians have everlasting life because of the work of the Holy Spirit, the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Because of the Holy Spirit, we can know that Christians have life everlasting. Eternal life doesn't begin, at the, doesn't begin when we die. Be eternal life begins at the moment of salvation. I love what it says. I'm going I'm to read John 17, 3 in the KJV or the King Jimmy. That's what I affectionately call it because I love it. And this is life eternal. That means this isn't life to come. This is life eternal now. This is life eternal. That they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That if you know Jesus Christ, eternal life begins the moment of salvation. Now, is there this dichotomy that's taking place in our life? I want that. Oh, I want that. And we're going back and forth. Yes, the Apostle Paul even talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, though our outward man is wasting away, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day by day. Isn't that awesome? Because Romans 8.29, if you kept reading in Romans 8.29, it says that he will conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Christians have everlasting life. How do we know this? What, then what, what, what becomes of death then? Death is the doorway and an annoyance during this life. It's just annoying. It's like a, like a bee without a stinger. 
to just annoy you. Can't sting you, can't hurt you, Christian. So why do we fear it? 1 Corinthians 15, 53 through 55, it says, For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? When we get our new bodies, Revelation 21, 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. What a wonderful day. If you've ever lost somebody close to you, this becomes a very sweet, sweet verse. But until then, we realize and long for, with hope, because of the Holy Spirit in us, we long for this fact that one day we will be built for eternity, but not yet. Our redemption is now and not yet. Why? Because we don't have our new bodies. Inwardly we're renewed, but outwardly we're dying. Justin Martyr in 153 AD was an early church father. He wrote this. Indeed, God calls even the body to resurrection and promises it everlasting life. When he promises to save the man, he thereby makes his promise to the flesh. What is man but a rational living being composed of soul and body. Is the soul itself a man? No. It is but the soul of man. Can the body be called a man? No. It can be but the body of man. If then neither of these is by itself a man, but that which is composed of the two together is called a man, and if God has called the whole man to life and resurrection, he has called not a part, but the whole, which is the soul and the body. Let me say it to you, plain English. Our redemption will be complete when we get our new bodies. What's happening on the inside will then one day happen on the outside. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? That's great news. And so we live in this incomplete state where he revives our soul, but our bodies waste. Until that day, Christ is all about life. Here's the final thing about this, 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 this thought here. Christ is all about life. That's why he made it eternal. If anyone says that Christ is about anything else, we ought to be about life. It's now and not yet, but we ought to be about life. Everything that we do ought to reflect this. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Romans 8, 10, and 11, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So what does all this mean and how do we take this from here? While we wait for our future hope, the Holy Spirit will stir our desires and give us a taste of what is to come. Faith, hope, love. It's what we live. It's how we live it. A.W. Tozer said it best. I close with this. Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. 
I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from the misty lowland where I have wandered so long. Amen. So be it. Let it be. It is so. The end of the creed. He ends with this idea of the life everlasting. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, this is what awaits And it doesn't begin when you die, it begins now. Just call upon the name of the Lord, he'll answer, and he'll save you. And those things that we've talked about today will be yours for all eternity. The hope that I have is not something that's made up, it's not some slogan It's because of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. Let's pray. Father, so much more that I wanted to say, Father. Father, take the words from your word and use them, Father, for your praise, your honor, and your glory. God, I long for you. Help us, Father to walk in this newness of life. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna watch a video for the offering as the ushers get in place. Um, We're gonna ask people to um, give not to this Brazil thing or anything like that, we give to the Lord. When you drop your money on the offering plate, you're saying, Lord, you're more important than anything else in the world. You're going to watch a video of one of the opportunities and missions that we support through your tithes and offerings. And um, it's great because what's great is when the body of Christ comes together, we get to do more together than we do apart. And that's what's exciting about Coastal Community Church because we really do get the opportunity to do more. It's not just something that we say, but it really is something that we do. So you watch this video as we take the offering. We'll sing a song and then we'll be dismissed. If you've If you want to do business with God, if you want to know what it is to have a relationship with Christ, there'll be people up here in the front after the service that would love to take a Bible and show you how you can have a relationship with Christ. Let's pray for the offering, and then we'll go. Father, thank you for this opportunity to give to you. You've given us so much, Lord. We we, we can only reciprocate, Father, very little. So take it, Lord God, like the bread and the fish and multiply it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, church family. Uh, My name is Mark, and uh, Ruth and I, my wife, uh, we work in Brazil with underprivileged children. Uh, For the past 30 years, the ministry has been set strategically in the heart of a slum community, facilitating the work of children to get out from poverty all the way to their potential. Uh, Our work has been, um, as an after-school program, uh, children come in uh, alternate times, morning or afternoon, and right now, 200 children have direct access daily to Christian education, computer, arts, music, drum, sports, uh, recreation. And we feed about 3,000 meals a month uh, for the children. This has been a phenomenal job because we've been able to see the results of the work. We have taken children from uh, no hope, 
no dream for tomorrow, all the way to graduating from college, uh, to marriage, uh, to small business. And uh, our goal is to get them into the mission field. And all of this has been possible because uh, people like you, uh, who give to the missions uh, fund, uh, or people like uh, Sean, who has a missionary vision, missionary mind, uh, Robert, uh, who is the leader of the missions committee, uh, care enough to to pray and to give to people, to the children uh, of the world. And uh, we have a great privilege to be facilitators of this work, and a great joy to see the children to progress from not knowing Christ to knowing Christ and make their life career to serve Christ. So uh, thank you very much for your support and prayers, and I'm looking forward to see you one day in Brazil. God bless. You guys stand with us.